welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we're in all of you this morning. What a joy it is to praise you, to lift you higher, to reflect on this wonderful mystery that God became a man, that the word of the Father given to us in the flesh, his name Emmanuel, God with us. He'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. He's closer than a friend, closer than a brother. Father, as we take a moment and we position our hearts, our minds, our bodies to receive from you today, we thank you that you have fresh manna. Your word, as it says in the scriptures in Hebrews, it is alive, it is active, it is powerful. Father, that that sword rightly divides between the joint and the marrow. We thank you, Lord, that nothing is off limits. When your word touches us, it changes us, it heals us, it frees us. That hell can't touch us, our children, our family. That this gospel, this incarnation, which is just a big word, that God became man in the flesh, this gospel is a declaration of victory that sin, death, and demons have been defeated. And you have power and you have victory. So Father, we thank you today. And if you feel comfortable, just lift your hands as an act of surrender and let's just receive that which the Holy Spirit wants to deposit in your life today. Jesus, we are here, surrendered, yielded people. We thank you for Emmanuel. We thank you for this Christmas victory, this Christmas message. God, as we prepare our hearts in a season of Advent and a season of expectation, that we prepare to receive the Christ child. Father, we thank you that if we prepare correctly, we can receive greatly. So Father, we prepare for what you wanna do. It's your kingdom, your message, your gospel. Let us grow deeper and more faithful to what you've called us to in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And GPC kids, you can be dismissed. Can we give them a hand as they exit today? They got to worship with us. What a joy on the first Sunday, as we've been telling you, this will kind of be a a new normal. I think we could get used to that, maybe have some praise on our first Sunday and bring some of our GPC kids up. That was awesome. Can we give our worship team a hand for putting all that together today? Everett, you can bring me down just a little bit. That'd be great. I want to welcome everyone tuning in online as well. So thankful you're here. And praise, um, we journey with Christ to Christmas and I personally enjoy these, these seasons where you can um, 
follow more traditionally the stories of the gospel, the Bible. Um, you can follow along and participate in what uh, is cyclically taught to us. Cyclically means it, it comes around every year. And there is an element to that, especially in um, Christmas, Easter, uh, and Pentecost, that you can follow along and participate with what the scriptures are teaching us. Is My heart is today is we've went through some hard-hitting content matter these past few Sundays. Um, the one thing I want us to know as a church is I don't want to be a church that lives on the sidelines theologically, but we're in the arena, and we're a church that's theologically robust, and we wrestle with hard topics. We wrestle with maybe what is the cultural norm uh, in evangelicalism, and you dig into these ideas, and you wrestle with the scriptures, and you go to the scriptures and see where these ideas come from, and are they of God, or are they of man? So... Um, I pray that you've been blessed by that. You've been able to follow along in the podcast and the teachings. And please understand that if you have questions, reach out. And I'd love to source you and resource you and get you personal study. Uh, because you can't, you can't have a feast on Sunday. This is just one meal. You've gotta, you can't gorge yourself on Sunday and expect to not get hungry when Wednesday rolls around. So you've got to have a good, healthy appetite. And you got to learn to feed yourself because it's only babies who don't feed themselves. Remember that. I got, I got two of them. Two of them can feed themselves, praise God. But my goal is to equip you how to hold your fork, how to make, get the food in your mouth, and you can take the bib off, praise God. And there's less of a mess. So um, today we're going to be looking at, particularly, I want to open up with Isaiah. And if you're taking notes, uh, I want to look at what does it mean to be saved? Rather, what should I do to be saved? Which is a popular response when the gospel would be preached. Jesus brings a gospel. Jesus in the flesh isn't just this cute little baby narrative, though we all love babies and there's a cuteness to the Christmas story, but there's also a, um, a severity to what's happening. Because in the same day of when Jesus entered into the world in the flesh through the virgin, it looked a lot like our day today. There was a plethora of different religions. There was a plethora of different understandings of Judaism. There was a plethora of how we get to God and how we dwell with God. There was heavy paganism. There was Gentiles. There were Jews. There was just this religious mess. And Jesus comes right into the scene and he begins to teach and to bring a gospel when he becomes of age, when he becomes a man. So in order to really understand and celebrate the Christmas story, you've got to understand what is the message of Christmas. Isaiah gives us this as it was foretold in Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. It says that there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Speaking of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, he shall decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth." And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. 
that's baby Jesus right there, guys. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. So this was foretold of Jesus. And if you read all through Isaiah, all the prophets and minor prophets, you'll see this foretelling and this forecoming of Christ. And this is as we journey with Jesus to Christmas, as we journey in the story, we get a deeper reflection and a deeper appreciation of exactly what this means and what a true, genuine relationship with Jesus, what fruit it brings in and through your life. So as we kind of take what this message is of, of what should I do to be saved, as you read in the New Testament, when the apostles would preach the gospel, preach the good news of Jesus, they would be uh, elicited, if you were hearing this teaching, or even Jesus as he was teaching, uh, before he would uh, endure the passion and the cross, Jesus would say a lot of things like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, or it is at hand. So we understand that Jesus just wasn't trying to go around and get people saved. He was announcing a kingdom in addition to that as well. So many times we... we uh, hold salvation loosely or we, we, we minimize it to the point of how can I get eternal security and get fire assurance so one day when I die, I go to heaven. I get my ticket, essentially. This is not the full understanding of salvation. And what we've got to see today is Jesus was bringing a kingdom. And when you understand the earliest form of what the gospel means, the word gospel, or if it was be said in the Greek, the evangelion, and if you remember in our Easter sermon this past year, uh, we actually, I preached through Genesis 3, 15 through 18, right in that selection of scripture, which was the proto-evangelion, which is the first form in the creation account where we see the gospel presented. We went through where we looked at that he would be the seed that would rise from the earth that's even in the creation account. And how the gospel is, is all typed and shadowed through the uh, Old Testament and especially in the New Testament entirely. And now because of Jesus, we can go and we can see where the gospel is seen and understood in light of Christ fulfilling that old covenant and teaching us what it means to be the people of God, teaching us what it means to be Israel. So as we see and as we understand this today, uh, in that Jesus brought a kingdom I want you to hear it this way. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about what Jesus can do for your life. First and foremost, again, this is where in American Western culture, the gospel is more preached as a sales pitch. You have a problem, I have a solution. Your vacuum's broken, here's a new vacuum, and here's how it can transform your carpet floors to be the cleanest carpet floors you've ever seen. If you actually go, this is amazing, if you study this, in um, early American marketing, uh, when you kind of in the Industrial Revolution, you would actually see major marketing campaigns begin when these uh, campaign managers would go into big arena-style uh, settings, and they would hear the gospel preached in this type of, uh, here's your problem, and here's the solution, a lot of modern marketing was taken from these type of settings and greatly influenced in that, if you didn't know that. And what we've got to understand is the gospel is not simply reduced to a sales pitch. And what we see in a lot of modern evangelicalism and Protestantism today, it is we have a service and at the end there is a sales pitch to get you to say yes to Jesus. And in saying yes to Jesus, you look for agreement, not faithfulness. 
if your toes aren't about to get stepped on, here we go. So what we've got to understand, when we say yes to Jesus, we are saying to a life of faithfulness, not you agreeing with what I'm saying or you agreeing even with what the scriptures are saying. It's much deeper than that. Agreement is very shallow. Agreement is let's just have a circle of unity and all just agree, but there's no real transformation in an encounter with the person of Jesus, which results in then being faithful. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about what Jesus can do for your life. It is not even the answer, hear this, to the question, how can I be saved? Hear this, this is the true gospel. It is the declaration of a victory in his coming to earth, his suffering, and his resurrection. In the day of why the, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, would choose this word gospel, evangelion, is because it would be very familiar to the people in that day and in that time. It would be very contextually correct. See, gospel would be understood as this, when there would be a conquest of an emperor or of, um, of a political leader who had defeated a land nearby, they would send a herald out who would then go into the surrounding towns and they would make multiple announcements saying, here is the evangelion, here is the gospel of Caesar, here is the gospel of such and such leader. And they would declare uh, really a message of now what is expected of you, what's been accomplished, what's been defeated, and now what you have to do in response to that. So the gospel of Jesus is not the only gospel that was preached prior. So when Jesus now coming onto the scene, what's being said in that language that they would understand is every other gospel you've heard pales in comparison, falls short, and you got to understand the gospel took on a place. That's why the early church was greatly persecuted, because as the gospel was proclaimed, it was an act of, of violence against the Roman state that you were saying, I am now taking and separating myself even politically from this Roman state and following Christ as my gospel at all costs. You tracking with me? This was the severity of what it meant to follow Christ and the message of that day and the message of that time. 1 John 3, 8 says this, and when Jesus came to really overthrow and defeat and destroy three things, it's this, it's sin, it's death, and it's demons. Jesus comes to save your life, yes, but the gospel first and foremost is Jesus has come with a message declaring a victory of overthrowing sin, death, and demons. Jesus says in 1 John 3, 8 that he has come, if you put this back up, to destroy the works of the devil. That when these demons manifested, his goal was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus comes on the scene and his main mission is to undo and redeem everything that was taken by our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. To restore that which was truly Eden. And we'll get into this. So, in understanding, when you see in the gospel what is probably most understood, you can go and read it for lack of time, Acts 16, you know the story of Paul and Silas. In their melody, when they were in the prison cell, what happens? They begin to worship. They begin to sing. Their chains are loose. The doors fling open. And then as they are about to walk out, escorted by the angelic beings, escorted by angels, and, and God showed up powerfully there, what you see is the jailer take notice and watch all of this. 
and he sees and he is perplexed. He is overwhelmed and he asks this question, what must I do to be saved? If we go to Acts chapter two, you can put this on the screen. This would be Peter filled with the spirit walking out of the uh, upper room and he begins to declare the gospel story. As he declares the gospel story to the Jews, you begin to see the response. So what should I do to be saved is a response to the gospel. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. So this sums up, if you read in early into Acts chapter two, this is the message he's preaching uh, of what it means to be saved and telling the story of Jesus. So assuredly that all the house of Israel should be saved, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, the gospel cuts you to the heart. The message of Christ cuts you to the heart. And it's a cutting, just like you see in Old Testament circumcision, your baptism is a new covenant type of, cir- of circumcision, that it cuts away the flesh. And then you can put on Christ. So there is always when the gospel is presented, and not just in a one-time decision, but an ongoing perpetual of working out your salvation through fear and trembling, there will always be a cutting of your flesh. You never stop cutting the appetites, the cravings, the desires uh, that want to bind you. But when the gospel is refreshed, just like we praised this morning, there's just a part of you that's cut away that doesn't honor God and your true nature, your new nature comes forth in true worship and spirit and in truth. So there's this cutting and they were cut as they heard this and Peter says this, he says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come on, we thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. Aren't you thankful that it's just not you, but you are setting up generations and legacies that will come after you. And all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many others words he testified, And he exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I mean, if you pause right here, the the territory and the the place that Jesus came onto the scene, the way even uh, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to go out, they were going into a perverse generation. They were not going into a place that was applauding them for sharing this gospel. Right, We can't romanticize these things. They were willing to risk their life. They were willing to be martyred. Stephen would eventually be martyred by Paul, who was the alpha and the ringleader, by Saul, rather. He was not Paul yet. And so you've got to understand the climate, the, the climate of, what is, of where the early church started, where Jesus came into the scene. And, and you've got to see what this message is all about. And it says, in that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. What I love about the gospel that in the midst of dire persecution, of every pain, problem, and peril you can imagine, it does not stop the gospel. As dark as our world gets, it will not stop the power of the gospel going forth. And the power, the Romans 1, 16 and 17 talks about how the gospel is the power of God unto salvation that when you experience the truth and the life and the way of Jesus, because he is that way, he is that truth, and he is that life, there is power that fills and touches your life. 
So in Jesus and in this gospel being announced, it is a conquest of victory that's going forth. And what we have to understand is we're a part of being ambassadors and declaring this victory 2,000 years later, two millennia later, that we are, are still talking, we're still worshiping, we're still declaring this good news message and this gospel that sin and death and demons are defeated. You see, I'm a firm believer in a very humanistic culture we live in, a secular humanistic culture that exists in the world where it's just atheistic, is even atheists will believe in demons. And the way that you begin to, to work your way into this conversation is focus on getting them to believe the demons that they know exist because there's a God who can defeat those demons. So start there and watch how quickly you can get to Christ. Because Christ is the only answer and the only way the demonic will ever be defeated. Whether you believe it or not, whether you believe the gospel, demons are already defeated. Death is already defeated. Sin is already defeated. Whether you agree with it or not. And that should give you great joy that this is reality. And now we are on a conquest to get anyone and everyone to choose this reality to say yes to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be empowered by the Spirit. But not just to agree, we're gonna to get to this in a minute, but it's being faithful. If you get into the earliest understandings and really the way the scripture was to be understood, especially in the realm of the just shall live by faith. We take faith, as I'm speaking of, as just mere agreement. Oh yeah, I got faith in that. Don't break the faith, keep the faith. But the earliest understanding of faith is this, it is, it is faithfulness. The just shall live by faithfulness. Because easy believism tells you, I can just have a mental assent, and now nothing with what I do, with what I say, I'm covered under grace, greasy grace, all of these isms that have, that have steeped into the church, that have pacified and watered down the gospel, to now where I've got my fire insurance, now what I do, what I say, how I live, has no reckoning in any part of my life because I'm under grace. Those are things you would hear said. But an understanding, if you were to talk to Paul when he quotes, the just shall live by faith, he would grab you by the collar and say, you've gotta be faithful. You've gotta hang on. In the middle of all of this persecution, Easy believism isn't going to save you, but faithfulness is. Because in working out our salvation, we understand that I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. That this life, St. Isaac the Syrian said, an early church father, he said, this life is given to you for repentance. Do not waste it. Do not waste it. You see, it's quite amazing when you get into the old uh, covenant You'll hear uh, Paul even quote, who, remember, was a pious Jew, Saul. And he would, uh, the scripture would say that he perfectly kept the law. And you got to think, well, how did Paul perfectly keep the law? And Paul would say this, and what you've got to understand about the old covenant is that there was a form of repentance built in. So yes, Paul sinned, but he could still keep the law because when you had an animal sacrifice, then that was the remission of your sin in that covenant. So Paul could say, I could perfectly keep the law. And what we've got to understand is repentance is just not a new covenant thing. It's always been there. 
It's just now perfectly fulfilled in Christ. So we've got to understand that repentance, when, when we hear Peter say what he said and declared in the scripture on this conquest of victory, is that repentance is what keeps us faithful. When we fall, when we sin, because scripture says we all fall short of God's glory. We all miss the mark. But as I'm, I kind of say week after week, you've got to go into, well, what is the mark? We all miss the mark. That's great. But what's the mark? That's communion and union with Christ. And how do we, if in my marriage, does my faithfulness earn my marriage? That's not how I get married by faithfulness. That's how I stay married. Right? And a lot of us think if I'm faithful, then I earn something with God. No, it's a byproduct of what your commitment is, what you've said yes to, what your choice has been. Now, faithfulness is the overflow of an abundant life in a marriage with Christ. And so we've got to get to this place where faithfulness is the goal faithfulness and loyalty, trust with Christ. You see this epidemic, this pandemic of the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E's. And with this, uh, Barna research will show that, ever, that churches are um, uh, thinning out like they've never seen before. People just don't go to church anymore. And the thing is, it's not that they're just not going to church, but they're, having indiv- indi- they're being very individual in their thinking of how they serve God it would kind of look like this. It's me and my yoga instructor and we kind of have a little spiritual experience, right? That I don't need the church. I don't need any institution. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I don't need any singular voice or any singular authority in my life. I am my own authority. I can read the scriptures for myself and I go do yoga and I feel something and it's great. If you would actually get to the core of a lot of secular humanism of what we're seeing is They would never say it, but in a roundabout way, what it is is they are their own God. They have their own ethics. They have their own sacraments. They have their own way that they connect to a higher power. And what what hurts my heart is even as you look at the landscape of Western Christianity, you look at Europe, all churches are just completely being turned into hotels, bars, amusement centers. They're being emptied out. If you, if you look into all of this. And what's sad is the church has just become this ancient relic that has no, um, brings no help or brings no truth into modern society. Just let it kind of fade away. Just stay in between your four walls. Don't engage out there. Keep your religion to yourself. Yet the religion of secular humanism is what you see ruling and reigning in the public circle. I don't know where I'm at in my notes, but here we go. <laughs> so we've got to see, and we've got to look at it. We have the cross, which is the pillar, and is the picture of our salvation. But the cross would be deemed powerless if there was never a resurrection. And Paul teaches us this in, the, in a clear, concise, simple, yet deep understanding of the gospel. And it's this, in 1 Corinthians 15, Allison, if you put this up, it says, now, brothers and sisters, I want, you, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, 
which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word. This is again where we see in the conversation of faithfulness, you've got to stand in your faith. You've got to hold firmly to this faith. Otherwise, you had believed in vain. Verse three, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This resurrected life is of first importance to Paul because everything hinges on the resurrection. And not only is it Christ's resurrection, but you and I will have a resurrected body one day. And this really isn't talked of a lot in the conversation of the gospel because maybe it's not understood fully or maybe there's, I I don't know why, but there's not a lot of understanding in the church on what it looks like when you have your resurrection and you have your resurrected body. When Christ calls all who have immortality to put on, or mortality to put on immortality. So this is a part of what he's talking about, but he's saying that this is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Paul here is even pulling not just into New Testament, but into Old Testament because those are the scriptures. When Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus, Jesus taught uh, the apostles that were walking with him. He opened the scriptures, taught them, and they were cut to the heart. He was not teaching the New Testament. He was teaching the Old Testament and saying, look, this is where I was here. This is the prophecy of Jesus there and showing every type and shadow of how Christ fulfills it. And they were cut to the heart. So that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he would be raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Luke twenty thirty six says this too about the resurrected body. This would be Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He said this, he said, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. How you need to see yourself is you are a son and you are a daughter of the resurrection. That in the realm of understanding that Jesus came on a conquest to announce a victory, the gospel is a victory declaration that sin, death, and demons are destroyed. And the realm of death being destroyed is saying, your soul will never die. And in your soul, if we follow Christ, we will have a resurrected body one day that death can't touch, that fear can't touch, that aches and, and, and pain can't touch, that you will get a new body. And that's a glorious future that awaits all of us one day. That Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. James 2 14 through 19 of how faithfulness is expected. Faithfulness should be the norm. Faith without works is dead. You've heard this. You know it. Ladies, you just studied this. So what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, It's kind of like just saying, oh, you need some? I'm praying for you. I'm going on now. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? So saying your faith is is dead in this situation. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You've got to understand this, is that even demons 
have faith, they agree with the scriptures that God is real, Christ is real. They're not denying that Jesus is real. Demons, you need to know this. When how many people you've met in your life don't even believe that the demonic exists? Even the demons believe that Christ exists. Satan's done such a good job to even get Christians to believe. There there are Christians that believe that their demons aren't real. They've been defeated. I don't have to fight. And spiritual warfare is, it doesn't, it's just a thing. So you've got to see here that in your faithfulness, it's what gives you the resources and gives you the keys to fight against the demonic and to stand against the demonic that wants to destroy you, take you out, take you down. You need to see this as well as Jesus in his ascension as he's ascending and as he's commissioning the apostles to now go out, to go preach the gospel, go into all the world. You can read that in Jesus' ascension as he is commissioning them with authority. He's commissioning them with what they need to defeat the demonic. And what we've got to understand today is you've been commissioned with what you need to stand against the gates of hell where it will not prevail against you, your family, against your healing, against everything that God has intended to do in and through your life, you have what you have need of in Christ to stand and to stand effectively. Not just stand and beat at the wind, but stand strategically and stand effectively. But you've got to understand, not all Christianity is conditional. Just because you want, see a promise in the Bible and you start speaking it, there are conditions attached to these promises. And easy believism will tell you is all promises are yours because you just simply agree. But covenant theology is much deeper, requires faithfulness because show me, I'll see your faith by your works because faith always has fruit. True faithfulness always has fruit. And we try to to hide from the fact that your salvation should have some kind of fruit. We doing okay out there. So we've got to understand that being a part of God's family, that it's through faithfulness we become like our Father. All right, so Romans 117, we've, this is what I've been quoting to you, the just will live by faith. Faithfulness is a key to any relationship. You know, when you look at the story of the prodigal son, and this is several weeks ago, what Kelsey has been saying and what Bree says and what we, what we need to change our lens on repentance is when we repent and we turn back to God, if we look at the story of the prodigal son, when the prodigal repents, is everyone sad and full of guilt and pain and shame? I don't think that's the narrative. When the prodigal repents and turns, the father sees him, the father runs to him, and there is a party and there is a celebration. Repentance has got this bad rap on it that you have to be so full of shame, guilt, and pain instead of when you repent, it is a celebration. You're throwing heaviness off. You're throwing weight off. When you praise, it says, put on praise and take off that garment of heaviness. So in repenting, it is the very mechanism and vehicle that frees you and redeems you from sin and keeps you in right standing with God. We must be quick to repent, and repentance is daily. 
This is how we become more like Christ. So in 1 Timothy 3.15, in understanding um, how this works, we see that um, even in your salvation, it's just not a point in time. It's just not the certificate you got when you said yes to Jesus in children's church 30 years ago. Like, yeah, that's my salvation experience. No, salvation is every day. It's not a point in time, but it is very progressive because you are being made continually into the image and likeness of God. Salvation is your healing. The early church synonymously would place salvation and healing in the same breath. They would be two lungs in the same body. That salvation is what heals you. You see, in, in the great schism of 1054, when the church, the Roman Catholic Church, split off and there became two divisions, you then fast forward into the 1500s, the Protestant Reformation. What the, what the gospel that would be given, which is not in the earliest understanding, would be that it would be very atonement-based and to appeasing a God who is wrathful and angry. Many of you have gotten this gospel and have heard this gospel and have believed this gospel. This is the prevailing gospel in the Protestant and in the Catholic Church. And again, Protestant and Catholics, Protestants stemmed off of Catholics. So you've got to understand there's a lot of similarities between the two if you didn't know that. So what you've got to see in this um, very understanding that it's all about appeasing God. And when you think about it's all about appeasing God of why I need to be atoned for, it makes you see God in this place of what mood is God in today? Does he like me? Does he not? When I send, is he now going to strike me with lightning? And what it does is it puts God, the one with the mood, God with the one who can change how he feels about you. And I just need to keep appeasing this God through uh, an atonement all the time. I just need to be covered. It's imputed. Versus we're the one with the problem. God's the steady, stable healer. And he's not looking to strike you down. He is a good father that will give you everything you have need of for your healing. God is not the one who needs the therapy. We're the ones that need the therapy. So you've got to understand, and this is a whole, probably a podcast I need to do, is that there are many versions and moderations and morphisms of what the gospel is. There's a prosperity gospel. There's a poverty gospel. So what is the true gospel? And that's what you've got to have a stomach for to, as we've been talking about, you've got to deconstruct from a lot of these modern new ways of thinking, these modern versions of the gospel that maybe you got at a VBS one time, maybe you've been taught somewhere along the line, you heard it on TV through a, an evangelist, whatever it is, you've got to go to the scriptures and not just get that lens of what that gospel is. You still with me? 1 Timothy 3.15 says this. It says, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Hear this, the pillar, of, the pillar and ground of the truth. So in modern Christianity, I don't need a pastor. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm just accountable to what my feelings and, and what I think is right. You've got to understand that Paul firmly gives us that it is the church 
that is the pillar and the ground of truth. Every Christian and every believer has to be grounded and has to stay grounded. This is why it takes 18 years to raise a child. Maybe sometimes till you're 30, I don't know. I wasn't gonna say it. But what we've gotta see is this discipleship and this discipline, repentance, it all is just these heavy words that you say, I don't need all that, I don't wanna do all that. But you've gotta understand of how God set things up, it is for your grounding and it's for you to get the truth and not to waver off of it. Because you need pastors and leaders and people in your life who can rightfully divide the word of truth. How many cults have been started based off some version and variation of Christianity? It's sad. If I were to tell you conversations I've had of, of Christians who have had cultic upbringings and have had to just be healed from a lot of those upbringings and very fundamental, very new agey spiritual on both ends of the spectrum, as I said, it is a wild, wild west. And you've got to know the truth. And you've got to know that not every church is created equal. Not every church is preaching the same truth. It might look and feel like it, but when you get in the car, you're like, yeah, this is different. So we've got to know the true gospel. Not an American gospel, not a Western gospel, a Protestant gospel, a Catholic gospel. What is the true gospel? So in putting on Christ, this is how you're able to live life in Christ. That is the goal is to living life in Christ. And when we see, and uh, this would be a, another topic of time and discussion, but in understanding the new covenant and why Jesus institutes it through communion, is if you go into the Old Testament, you would see at the Passover, before the Passover ever happened, they were given instructions of what to do. And in the Passover, there was, all, there was a meal that would be involved. So in the, in the communion, the New Testament communion, Christ, when he institutes it at the Last Supper, it's a showing of a fulfilling of that and that he would give instructions for it. And at the Passover, it would be cyclical and you would do it as a remembrance. The same is with communion, that it is a reminder that I am progressively growing in Christ. This is why we've been doing communion every Sunday because it's supposed to be the, the reminder that Jesus is at the center. It's not a pastor, it's not your giving, it's not a church building, but Christ is where it all comes to closure in. Christ is where it all comes is the seat and is the summit and is our affection and it is our worship. So in the communion, you would have to understand that even, okay, if, if you're Roman Catholic and many of you that are in this church have come out of Roman Catholicism, um, you would think that there would be this divide even with Martin Luther in the realm of communion. Martin Luther himself actually believed that it was the real presence of Christ in the communion or in the Eucharistic meal. So you've got to see, even in communion, it is so morphed off way over here of how we even understand the elements that we partake. Did you know this? So when you get and you begin to cut into theological lines of what am I doing, what am I participating in, what is Israel, what isn't Israel, you'll begin to see the landscape, there is great confusion that ensues. And this is what this is what the enemy wanted all along. How can I divide the body of Christ? If I were to take a picture of Jesus, maybe something my kids uh, drew, 
What the enemy has done and would do to illustrate it is, let's just begin to rip pieces of the body of Christ apart and now scatter them and expect to bring it back together. You ever try to rip something up and then try to tape it back together? Never looks the same. So you've got to understand that there are many different interpretations. That's why there's 95 or 45 registered, 45,000 registered denominations in America alone. And as a pastor, it grieves me, and it's very hard because there's no singular authority anymore. You can pick up a Bible, and we've got to define it 10 different ways to get to the truth. Everyone just, that's why Pilate, he laughingly says that Jesus, it, when he washes his hand, he, what is truth? Truth had been so diminished that there is no absolute truth anymore. This is what you see all throughout, even in the church. So this is really the vision of what you've got to understand when you go back to the beginning of the garden. And Corey, if you'd help me close and we'll take communion is when you think of this gospel, that it is a declaration of victory against sin, death, and demons, and that we all participate in this victory who call on Christ. What you'll begin to see is that in the realm of Christendom, which is what the church would say, we've gotta get, we've gotta make everything Christian. We've gotta Christianize everything. We've got to get prayer back in schools at all costs. We've got to redeem everything. We've got to riot everything until everything is Christian again. And you see all this times and seasons and places through church history where there is Christendom and where it's no longer Christ following. If you look at our present day country today, you would be blind to say that our country is Christian. Just look at our laws. Look at what's happening. Our, our country has turned its back on Christ. And so... The thought if to get Christendom back is we need to get prayer back in schools. We need to redeem all these things. But what you've got to understand, and this is a part of what we do here as a church, is our main priority isn't to try to get Christ back into all those things. We're going to create a heaven on earth right here. We're going to create a paradise where God's people can come and worship, regardless of what goes on out there. And what you'll see, and this would be what the apostles went out and did in the beginning. Now, Paul wanted to convert the emperor. That was more his goal. But what you saw in the early apostles is they went out when, from the ascension of Christ. As they begin to walk out and declare the gospel, what their message was, they begin to paint a picture of what it looks like to dwell and commune with God. How do you know God? How do you worship God? How do you walk with God? Not how do we get God into everything and make it a very transactional approach. But they begin to paint the beauty of a savior and of a God who loves them and a God who meets them and teaches them to walk with them. Before sin entered the world, what did the garden look like? What did they do? They walked and they fellowshiped and they talked with God in the cool of the day before sin made its entrance into the world. You know, the Garden of Eden, paradise, um, would be understood, uh, really paradise, if you look at the definition of it, would be understood as a garden with a wall around it. So the Garden of Eden didn't consume the earth. That's why uh, Jesus told, or uh, God told Adam and Eve, what was their commissioning? To go out and cultivate it, subdue it, take your dominion. 
So we see God putting Adam and Eve on a mission. We see Jesus at the ascension giving them the gospel and putting them on mission. And what you've got to understand that in Christ, he is inviting us back to the very beginning. And now we're to do the same that Adam and Eve were to do is to go out and cultivate the world around us. But you got to understand it's not through the sword necessarily. When you cultivate, you look more like a gardener. You're patient with your family, right? You just don't pull the belt out at every draw and wake to try to get your message across. You got to be long suffering. You've got to be patient. Now, understand this. The rod is needed and it is scriptural. So time and place. So what you got to understand is that as they were going into the world, the way that they captured the hearts of a wicked and perverse generation is this is how you walk with God. And they were doing it in an onslaught of an environment of every pagan religion saying, this is how you get to God. Come over here. This is where you'll find healing. This is where you'll find truth. Simon the sorcerer, you know his story, is he was just interested in how do I have this magic or this power void of any type of relationship? So just as God told Adam and Eve, go out and cultivate. Take this paradise and get it out there. But you got to see how they went about it is they touched the hearts. Truth was still spoken. And they gave this vision of the God you serve and the peace that you have, the gospel that you're proclaiming, it is cutting me at the heart and I want that wasn't forced over them. It wasn't beaten over their head. And what we've got to understand that is we take it in a micro level to our homes is that your homes are a little church. Your homes are a little garden. And all of us as parents and our families, we are tending to that garden. And that same vision that was at Eden is the same vision of what the church has seen is a restoration of Eden. If you didn't know this, the way God instituted the church would be a restoration of what the Garden of Eden was. That this is where you're equipped. This is where you meet with God. You talk with God. You repent of your sins. There's communion. There's all the things you need to prepare you to meet with God. And so when you see from cover to cover that no detail is spared or left out, and this gospel is not one of you've got to appease an angry God, but it is a gospel of beauty. It is a gospel that draws you in. It is a gospel of a loving father who is quick and ready to meet every one of your needs. And I'm telling you, when you get the revelation of the gospel of the scriptures, not the gospel where man has put all of its junk in it, and painted God as this certain picture, you're quick to repent. You're quick to fall on your face. You're quick to run to your father because in his house is many rooms and there's one with your name on it. So this is what the gospel declares. And as we understand our authority over demons, Demons have to be cleared out, not just to say, look at this win I just got. I defeated this demon. Demons have to be cleared out so paradise can be restored. 
because every single one of you have something to cultivate. I have four kids and a beautiful wife to cultivate, to tend to, to care for, to see that they walk into eternity one day. I pray we all just go at the same time. It'd be awesome. I have a church with a heavy responsibility with double judgment upon my shoulders of how I cultivate the gospel with you. And I just don't take what is streamlined and what is widely believed in America. You have children. You have spouses. You have vocations that you can go in and cultivate and restore the broken vision. See, it's the vision of this church is we're gonna bring healing to a broken world because the image of God is broken. It's not destroyed. When you see another human being that is far from Christ, guess what? They're still made in the image of God. And it is our portion to love them. It is our portion to serve them. Guess what? Even your enemies. That's why salvation is simple, but it takes a lifetime to get the depth of. I'll see how saved you really are by how well you love an enemy. Because that's the true test. Jesus loved his enemies at his final hour, at his passion. And we saw that he, who, he was who he was. When he stretched, stretched one arm toward a thief and another arm toward a thief, it was the full extension of grace even to an enemy. You've got to understand the power of the cross and the power of this gospel that will capture your heart, not just put you in legal right standing with God. There is a legal portion to it, yes, but you are not appeasing an angry God. At the cross, Christ is not satisfying the wrath of an angry God. He is revealing the love of the Father to all humanity. This is the gospel. He loves you. See, the gospel is completely exclusive or inclusive that everyone can come to him. It is open to every tribe, tongue, and nation. But then when you stand in front of Jesus, he then says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You must come through me to get to the Father. And your response in that moment, in every day of your life, of how you walk in truth, you see, the abundance of life, it's not just all about truth, though it is. We've got to have the truth, but you can't have truth without life and life without truth. It's a paradox. And when you walk forward in the truth, you will experience the abundant life that the gospel declares is you will rule over demons, you will rule over sin, and death will no longer be your portion. I don't know about you, but sign me up for that. Sign me up for that authority. Sign me up for that place where sin, death, and demons, you taunt them, they don't taunt you. You see, many of you, you're gonna go into a secular environment tomorrow. You're gonna go into a workplace where everyone's fussing and cussing. You're gonna go maybe into a divided home. Maybe you're walking through separation. You're walking through divorce. We all have brokenness that we are going to walk into as we leave the pillar and grounding of truth of God's word in his church. So as you walk into brokenness, guess what? You have as a gardener, 
You got to remember too, Jesus on the other side of resurrection, when Mary saw him, she mistake, mistook him as a gardener. Jesus in his resurrection looks a lot like a gardener. He tends your life and tends your garden. But do you let him? Or when he begins to prune, does it hurt a little too much? And you run from the place that's supposed to be feeding you. You run from the place that's supposed to be caring for you. You run from more of the person. His name's Jesus. If you'd stand with me, we'll prepare to take communion. I love this. Some of the earliest understandings of communion it would be understood in this vein, that it is the medicine of immortality, right? That we take off corruption and we put on incorruption when we follow Jesus, our soul never dies. And not only that, it is food for the faithful. Your communion, your worship, your time in the scriptures, your connection with God, your warring against sin, is what is food for faithfulness. Many of you, your simple pastoral encouragement is get off the junk food that leads you to sin and immorality. You put the sin label on it and get over here and eat the food of the faithful. And as we talked of last week, you will eat of the good of the land if you're willing and if you're obedient. Many of us are willing, but are we obedient? Because obedience costs you something. Obedience costs you an early morning. Obedience costs you uh, time and money and resources. We gotta be obedient. So we prepare to take the cup today. If you would just bow your head for a moment and focus on Christ. Focus on his gospel that the gospel beckons a response that after they heard this paradise, this place of eternity, this paradise on earth that you can have dominion over lowercase gods, that you can have dominion over sin and death and demons, that there's victory available for your life. Jesus, we thank you that you've defeated these things for us. That you're preparing a place for us. But you also look back to us and say, go out and cultivate. Go out and subdue. Go to, the inner, go to the outermost parts of the world, like it says in the Great Commission, and preach the gospel. Bring the broken home. Jesus, we want to be a faithful people. Father, as we're responding to your draw, to your grace right now, we ask that you would meet us, that we repent where we haven't been faithful. And as we repent, I pray we get the picture of the prodigal in our mind. Is every time we repent, the Father doesn't run away from us, he runs to us. And he cleans us off 
He reminds us who we are. He puts a ring on our finger and he says, my son has returned. Jesus, we know you're in the business of not making good people better. What can Jesus do for me? You take the dead things of our life and you make them alive. You make our soul alive to be with you forever. Jesus, we thank you as we break the body. Your body was broken for us. You endured the cross. You endured the whipping post. That you were not merely sent as just a sacrifice. You were sent to show us what it means to be truly human. What it means to truly live for the glory of God to live in the abundant life you've taught us and that you show us in the scripture, to forgive our enemies, to love deeply and thoroughly and faithfully. Where we've broken and where we've screwed it up, you were already broken for it and initiated it with us. We now can respond and find healing, grace, and forgiveness. So Father, we don't want to take this cup and this body, this bread in an unworthy manner. If you would just Make right anything that comes to mind. Father, forgive that person. Forgive that person that you saw at Thanksgiving that riled up some emotions. Forgive that situation that plagues you and torments you. Jesus, we want to be people who walk in forgiveness every day. You have forgiven us much Let us forgive those around us much. We take the body in Jesus' name. Jesus, we thank you that this salvaic work, this restoration of paradise, of Eden, of walking with you, of being in communion with you, is not just a singular point in time, but it is perpetual. It is every day, it is every breath that we are being saved and being made into the image of Jesus. Sanctify us, Holy Spirit. Rid us of the parts of our flesh. The flesh will roar and scream in this life because the flesh cannot go with you into eternity. So it's gonna get its portion. But Father, we thank you that we have dominion over the flesh. Jesus, as we take the cup of the new covenant, we thank you that we're your people. We choose you today. Father, I pray for those that are here who are far from God, who have backslidden, who have said yes to sin and have said no to you. God, I pray as they take this cup, that it is their sign of saying, I am forgiven, I am repenting, and I am back on track with Christ. And perfectly as it may be, I'm taking a step today in the right direction where I say yes to Jesus. Grace is not a license to sin, but empowerment over sin. So this grace that is given to you, let it empower you for this victory that Jesus declares in his gospel that you have victory over sin and death and demons. We take the cup in Jesus' name.
can be seated for just a moment. As we invite our ushers to give today. Kelsey, is there something you want to sing? Maybe a little come all you faithful as we head out. Is that okay? Just acapella. I never do this to you, so let me have my one for the year. I just feel it's important to end in in a moment of worship. As I said, the, the gospel is so simple, but it's very deep. And what must you do to be saved? You even see uh, John the Baptist, for Jesus comes on the scene, he would begin to, to list out, uh, you know, do this, don't do that. You can see instruction is given. And what we've got to be healed of is that not all instruction is bad instruction. It's how to live a life of faithfulness. There are do's and don'ts in a marriage to stay in fidelity, not to walk into infidelity. I'm telling you today, if you will prioritize faithfulness and hear this today, as we've praised today, you've given a melody to God. But your melody can fall in vain if the priority is not correct. What do I mean by that? If you are unhappy with a supply that's coming out of your life, the fruit that's coming out of your life, you're walking depressed, you're walking anxious. Studies will actually show, this is a secular study, I read this, that gratitude and anxiousness cannot exist in your mind at the same time. So when you actually praise and your heart is positioned correctly, the priority is positioned to that which the melody is coming out of your mouth. You see, that's why as we see the words on the screen, we're not just singing love songs to Jesus that sound good and feel good, but they've got to be theologically correct because if you're singing about this love song that's not really Jesus, you're not really singing to Jesus because what you're singing is not who he is. So this is why it's another conversation of modern worship that has got to be based in scripture. And what we've got to understand is the melody that comes out of our mouth, it is based on what you've put priority on. Is it Christ? Or are you just trying to feel something? Or are you just trying to praise Jesus till you feel better versus I am planting my feet on the solid rock and on the solid ground. I might get it wrong. I probably will get it wrong. But you've got to check the priority because the priority when it hits the melody then reflects the supply that comes out of your life. This is a deep, a little bit of a deeper way to think of your worship. And what I loved this morning, Kim and Entrell and Ava and Hadley, saw a few times Hadley was just looking over and I gave her a couple thumbs up. It's like, you're doing awesome. And just seeing that genuineness and that heart of worship and um, your girls, Chris, they love to worship. Your wife loves to worship. And, um, and just seeing Ava, I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Third generation of a worshiper. Uh, could be fourth. And what's amazing is most of our faith 
especially in our early years, is not taught, but it's caught. It's not so much what you're being taught, but how you see your parents live, how you see what you see in church. And this is why it's so important to keep your children in an environment of where they're taught and it can be caught. And as we see the perverse generation that sits out there, I would love if prayer got back in schools, trust me, I think we all would. But what we can control, our little garden, God is growing this garden. God is adding to this garden because all of us collectively are willing to go out and cultivate it. Please understand, this is not just pastor cultivating it. We've got to do this thing together. This is the vision that we would see our community. We would see those that come into this church, that come into this house from this day forward, that they find this gospel, they find this victory, and their lives forever change. I'm standing on the feet of three generations who said yes to the gospel and who say yes every day when it can be very easy to want to quit. Me standing up here, I've had to fight through a lot of hard days. I've had to fight through a lot of hard moments of questioning myself, right? Like we all do. Like, God, you picked the right person. But what you see and you go back to, what does the gospel say? It's not about you. Honestly, the gospel has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And then we say, now, what must I do to be saved? And there's just this, you've got to get yourself out of the center of everything. You even think about the incarnation is that the God who holds all of the universe, the cosmos, who rules and reigns over everything, in the incarnation decides to confine himself in a womb. So it's, I mean, that's food for thought this week. Just study that. And what that means and how much God who controls and over anything and everything showed his love by confining who he is in the flesh. Christianity, and I end with this and we'll give, Christianity is the only religion where God comes to us, we don't have to go to him first. God chooses to die for our sins, to show us how to walk, to show us how to live in Christ. And the same Jesus you see is the same God you see from the Old Testament all the way on. We didn't always know that till we saw Jesus, but now we do. And we can take every type and every shadow and put Christ in the middle of it, and it's perfectly fulfilled. Father, we thank you for the joy it is to give today. We thank you for this gospel, this good news that we can walk in victory over sin, death, and demons. We love you, Jesus. Teach us this week of what we must do to be saved, how to walk in salvation, how to work our salvation out in fear and in trembling. You're not the one who has the problem, we are. You're not the one who has to change, we do. Father, let us wrestle with our proclivities. Let us wrestle even when demons manifest in our own life. God, let us not get out of the arena, but understand it is, it is for our discipleship, it is for our 
being made in the likeness and image of Christ. We wage war. The scripture says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. This is not an exterior mandate. This is an interior mandate. You get violent with your proclivities, tendencies, cravings, appetites, and you watch as Jesus destroyed the works of the devil so that will be your portion. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.